Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Pull the Pin. It's business, brand and banter, and today we are pulling the pin on gravity. Now, four of my favourite things in life, in this order probably, are training, aviation, entrepreneurialism and military shit. So basically, I think today's guest might be my all-time best friend, top guest, because it's only uh, the founder of Gravity Industries. He's the real live Iron Man. It's Richard Browning. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> quite an intro. Yeah, it was quite a yeah. I was, yeah, on the, I made it up on the spot. Um, so, Richard, we've just seen something awesome with you. So we've just been treated to a private demonstration of... Your jetpack. I mean, do you call it a jetpack? Is it? Well, strictly speaking, jet suit. I guess jet is suit. a slight difference in that this is more about wearing a sort of augmentation to the human being rather than strapping to a traditional jetpack. Okay, yeah, jet suit. It was pretty awesome all Thank the time, you. and we're still alive. Yes, most importantly, I'm nothing still alive. was set fire. To Nothing's been. Yeah, my more hens aren't very happy. <laughs> but other than that, um, Got less hens. Now, <laughs> yeah, <I think>. the <laughs> garden's not happy. But yeah, we're still alive, which is the main thing. So, tell us about gravity. I mean, how long's it taken to get this off the ground? Literally, what gave the idea? Have you always been interested in flying? I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the kind of positive history. So, I mean, if I wind the clock back, I was actually uh, an oil trader with BP, uh, the oil company, for about 16 years. My whole family history, my whole family background was from the world of aviation, though. So my late father was an aeronautical engineer, maverick inventor and designer, and I kind of grew up building and making things with him. And what did he, what did he design, like engines or aircraft? Uh, or? He was an aeronautical engineer, so yes, he worked for various different uh, aviation companies. Um, I, I think he worked, uh, well, he, he, he worked for actually a missile development company at one point, I remember, and then worked for Western Helicopters. Your dad made missiles. Well, he, I, I was, I think, don't think I was even around when he did that. I think he Mine was lorries. In, <laughs> <laughs> he was, he worked in the aviation kind of department of that, I think, but it, it was, it was then in Western Helicopters. Uh, but then he actually uh, kind of sort of struck out by himself to really pioneer a whole load of new innovations in the bicycle industry. So I still got stuck in my garage, one of the best folding bikes I've ever seen still. And it was one of his inventions, but it's actually mountain bike suspension that he chose to focus on. And if everybody remembers, there was a day quite some decades ago where, uh, or a time when you didn't actually have suspension on mountain bikes. They were just solid bicycles and you just rattled around across the countryside. He I think I had one. Yeah. I had he, a chopper, I had an orange chopper there in the you 1970s. Go. They, right, taking that off-road, you'd, you know, <laughs> you'd know about it. Uh, and he pioneered the whole idea of, of um, uh, a mountain bike suspension in the headset, a bit like the steering wheel or nose wheel on an aircraft. So anyway, he struck out on his own to kind of build and pioneer this industry. So that, that was a deeply inspiring story. I'll, I'll circle back to that because it didn't have a great ending, but it was a very informative one. But um, his father was a wartime aviator and um, civil pilot and then my grandfather on my mother's side used to be chief executive and chairman of that very same helicopter company Westlands okay um, and I think that and they made the links didn't they I think yeah exactly yes yeah. exactly I mean again I, I think when I was about one years old I was ferried around in a helicopter but other than that I had no kind of meaningful kind of connection with it um, but it I'm an aviation did... geek sorry still the fastest helicopter ever yeah. built Quite a, quite a machine. Um, so there was a big Hafrani heritage there, but I'd struck off to go and um, you know build this career in the oil industry. Um, I spent about six years in the Royal Marines Reserve alongside that as well to scratch this sort of long-held desire to go, go and, and test people. myself. <laughs> no, not exactly. No, to go <laughs> and sort of test. round upon now shooting people. <laughs> uh, I, I, I always aspired to join the military. I, I wanted to sort of test myself in that arena and I've got a huge respect for that community. And I thought, what better way of doing that? Still trying to maintain the day job. Um, of trying to get my green lid, you know, while I was doing that. So anyway, 
um, about four or five years ago as the latest in a long succession of, of I suppose, in a way, self challenge kind of uh, opportunities whether it's setting up your own business or whether it's trying to learn to run ultra marathons or the calisthenics stuff I got into I started to hatch this idea somewhat subconsciously inspired by that family background and the military training um, could you try and get a human being to fly in a way that was entirely raw and nimble and authentic and leveraging the human brain and body as much as possible so I don't want a stick I don't want a yoke I don't want a steering wheel I don't want a seat I don't want any computers that are going to fly this I literally want to add the missing component which is horsepower mm -hmm. to my brain and body and see if I can fly in that way no logical reason no business idea behind it whatsoever be honest, was this before you saw the film Iron Man in 2008? <laughs> Do you know, I genuinely, I, I must have seen the film, um, but I, it was not in the forefront of my mind. I did not genuinely see the film and then think, gosh, I've got to go and build an Iron Man suit. I did. <laughs> you got a bit further than <laughs> but, I did with but, it. But, but, it, but as, as, the, as the evolution in 2016 started to kind of come together, it became obvious that actually all credit to the Marvel folks who kind of, uh, you know, hypothesised the idea. Uh, and recreated it in CGI, mm -hmm. actually, I started to head sort of blindly in the same kind of direction. And actually, some months after we launched the company in 2017, we had this great uh, meeting of minds where some of the Marvel team in LA who had actually done the CGI behind the character those famous scenes where tony stark is trying to learn in the garage and yep. like balancing around and there's that moment where he straightens up and feels the kind of the coordination and is able to coherently fly it um they had hypothesized what this would all be like and now the clients we train almost go through the same process mm -hmm. they don't go thrashing around smashing into the lamborghinis in the park garage unfortunately yeah please but, don't um, do that <laughs> but actually we had this great meeting where they were like oh my god this is actually what we guessed it would be like and i, I mean amazing credit to them to imagine that being like the process but um anyway so yeah i, I played with the idea in 2016 over about eight months um, uh, kind of put this together, realized that I could just about get enough power on the human body. I put an engine on the back of each leg eventually, two on each arm, and then in around October, November time, 2016, managed to fly for the first time. In Did this. you get burnt a lot? No, no, not, not at all. No, weirdly, I mean, it's, it's the obvious assumption, but... Um, Actually, luckily, air has a very low specific heat capacity. So whilst the, the air is very hot immediately as it exits the engine, yep. it loses power very quickly. So a bit like a hairdryer, if you yep. kind of hold a hairdryer a long way away from you, it's not actually very hot. It, it goes up exponentially in temperature as it gets closer to your... So if I were to strap, say, I'm thinking probably six Dysons hairdryers to me... Would that work? It's funny that despite those things feeling like they're quite powerful, they are just <laughs> no. metaphorically pissing in the wind in comparison <laughs> yeah, fair to... Fair enough. Well, you've just Worth witnessed... Try. I thought you, I'd done you, it very cheaply then. <laughs> that little decking area I just took off from, from your house there, you probably felt that kind of rumbling. You could feel a rumbling in your soul when the thousand horsepower kicks in. To Is that what's your, a thousand horsepower? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's quite an approximation to, to equate thrust with horsepower and it gets yeah. very nerdy very quickly. But yes, as crudely as you can do it, that's a thousand and fifty horsepower that just took off from your It makes sense decking. in terms of just the noise and the velocity and it's i'm nuts. amazed the it control you've got in such a confined <laughs> area i'm just amazed it, it is it is yeah if i may take a moment to sort of reflect on it yes i mean you are blowing literally air this stuff we are breathing in and out violently enough to be able to propel you know my 75 80 kilos and all that equipment upwards and then use the human balance part of your brain to vector control that in other words flaring your arms in and out just precisely enough in a subconscious way to create enough stability, as I mentioned to you just after I did the demo, my wife has fed me biscuits while I've been hovering in midair, just for fun. You can see all this on our <laughs> social media. Um, you, you can see how you know precise you are able to fly just by using that that kind of brain balance 
you know, skill we all have. So I'm digressing now because I'm still, I'm still fascinated in the story because I can talk to you about aviation, entrepreneurialism and business and the military and all sorts. So I'm like a kid in a sweet shop. Um, but is it better as well, closer to the ground? You need the ground effect. I know no, you obviously don't fall too far, but it, it's the same if you go up higher. So, can, so th- this is something we commonly get people asking. So... Ground effect, if you bring a helicopter in or an aircraft in close to the ground, you get a sort of cushion of pressure that you can ride uh, depending on what's going on. Because this is hosing um, almost like a fire hose of air out of each engine, realistically, unless I wore some sort of Mary Poppins kind of skirt to contain some of that... We can make that happen. I've never tried it. We've nearly flown with an umbrella before, which would look quite funny. But um, uh, unless I had that, you can't experience any ground effect. So actually, ironically, you get the opposite of it. I was going to say, it's actually disrupting... the research of your own warm air which is something that um, helicopters can experience as they yeah. come into a sort of bin laden type compound that actually crashed one of the helicopters in that uh, exercise um, we get the same kind of thing you have to factor that in as the warm air goes back into the engines you lose a bit of thrust it's creating so actually well, it's yep. easier if you go a bit higher um, yep. but um, yeah you can't unfortunately yeah, get any ground effect Okay, so it's 2016 now, so you've built this. What did your wife and kids say? Were they supportive? <laughs> did they need much So yes, I mean, my wife knew what she was getting into, I guess, when she married me back from not long after university. Um, it was the latest in a long succession of unusual ideas. This was probably out there in terms of being pretty unusual, but I think the best way to describe it is that actually when my mother-in-law came to this little um, hidden away farm in Wiltshire that we were using as a test site, a little kind of dirty farmyard, um, and she'd been wondering what we were doing. And my, my wife and kids have obviously been coming up and helping me out with some of the t- trials we've been and doing. And the neighbours, I imagine, as well, wondered what was going on. Well, that was why it was a pretty remote farmyard, because <laughs> as you've heard the noise now, yeah, you wouldn't want to do that regularly around people. Um, my mother-in-law came along, didn't really know what to expect. I took off, flew around a little bit like you saw today, land, shut down, and she just, without saying anything, just walked up and just gave me a hug, just got it. Just suddenly in an unspoken kind of way. You know why? She's seen you do that and she's thought, ka-ching. <laughs> yeah. Definitely thought, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, yeah, I think it was a nice demonstration of the power this has to kind of really kind of move people in a way. And it does, like you said, it sort of appeals to that sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, innate human desire to, to be able to fly. You look up at the birds and you think, wouldn't that be cool? And we, we don't have the power to do that. My and most so, frequent recurring dream, I would say, since childhood, was just being able to fly. But yeah, not fly a plane, not powered flight. Just yeah, fly off. like you've just flown and just fly. So, 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 so it's sometimes, for instance, like walking along and then running and then that step and then the next step is not on the ground and you're going. Yeah. You literally can do that with this system. It is the closest I've ever felt with anything to being able to do that. And you are not consciously aware or thinking of how you're doing it. You're just going where your mind wants to go. The reason it's a common dream, apparently, is because it's what people associate with success in terms of flight, because it's kind of breaking pro- free of the bound, proportionate yeah. to the air becoming free and actually sort of doing something under There's your own a whole, power, so to speak. So we, We've only scraped the surface from the psychology of this. But anyway, my, my if my mother-in-law had that kind of reaction to her, I thought, oh my goodness, okay, now we've done this and I didn't have any reason for doing it i just thought it'd be fun i thought well should we wrap this up in some form of brand and serve it up properly launch it properly and mm-hmm. see what the world makes of it yeah genuinely you know i was still i was still you know an oil trader running a trading book um so we formed this company gravity the gravity was an idea of one of my original co-founders um and i thought it was a great great idea great name yeah. Um, and we launched it in around April 2017. So spent the winter really just refining it and working out really how we could position this. We patented it as well. I mean, I didn't realise at the time that you had to patent it before you show the world because obviously once you've shown people, you yeah, can't patent too late. it. So yeah. that was a bit of luck. And you have to patent something physical because you can't patent an idea. 
because somebody would have it's patented this very, in the 50s. It gets increasingly expensive and difficult, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so we patented it. The only prior art, as the phrase goes, that was cited by the patent attorney was the Marvel creation of Iron Man, who they mm -hmm. did list on the patent kind of for the feedback and then threw it out. Um, so we then, I knew some folks at uh, Red Bull and I knew some folks at uh, Wired and I thought between those two brands at the time, uh, they represented this kind of spirit, um, you know, a bit like you guys, right, mm -hmm. in terms of going beyond and, you know, I suppose an, an amalgam of technology and human spirit and all that kind of stuff. And so they did some launch videos for us and we pulled the trigger or pulled the pin, I should say, mm -hmm. on, um, uh, on this around April Fool's Day. That just became a bit of an accident. It hit a billion impressions within about three days. I yep. think because people thought, gosh, look, these guys it's have done a, joke. a whole... Yeah, yeah, look at the effort. They've weirdly gone to doing this as a joke. And then I think we got a revisit by everybody because they went, oh my God, it's not going away. I think that's real. And so it got reshared by everybody. Well, see, what's, what's fascinated me is because I'm into military stuff and aviation and whatever as well. And I like kind of programs about this type of stuff. And what you've done in your farm in Wiltshire in admittedly how many years start to finish which well, it was eight months development which was pretty quick um and then that we really launched in in, in april 2017 so yeah, yeah it's been just over three and a half three years or so so basically sort of yeah between eight years and eight months sorry and three years the u.s military have been trying to do since like 19 late 1940s early 50s there is an, yeah i mean there is an element of that but then you know i spent 16 years in a big corporate and i'm very familiar with how you know bless big corporates uh, they're all the same yeah they do a lot of things really well, but nimble, out no, of the box. Agility thinking. is not one no, of them. They just, no, they just—that's that—that's the sacrifice of being a big, efficient corporate machine. They're not good at you know no. suddenly pivoting. So, and, when and, it comes and, to the aviation world, they're not thinking about stuff that you know. I was told that this would not be possible in, in the early days. I didn't really explain to people why I was asking the question, but I heard a wonderful story that after the I don't know how true this is, but you know, with your quite military audience, um, there might be a few people who smile at this. Um, there was apparently a whiteboarded exercise done in the US military after the first Iron Man film came out where they went, look, this is a cool film, right? It would be quite cool if we could do this stuff, right? And I know it's all make-believe, but science fiction does inform a lot of creativity. You know, yeah. the idea of flipping yeah, yeah. open a little bit of plastic in your hand and speaking to the spaceship up above the, uh, you know, the, the new planet I've discovered, that would be quite cool. And that later basically became the iPhone or, you know, yeah. the, the mobile phone. Yeah. So... Um, there was a whiteboard exercise and they listed out all the capability of this Iron Man character and said, you know, there's all these things. There's like situational awareness, there's AI, there's night vision, there's body armor. And it, it later, to an extent, so the, uh, well, so I believe anyway from the, you know, various conversations and meetings I've had around the place became somewhat the Talos program. Mm -hmm. The one capability that they struck off the board and everybody laughed at and said would never happen was the flight piece. And I met the senior folks who were in the room when that was whiteboarded out, as in they literally struck it off and went, we're never going to look at that because it can't be done. You see, this doesn't surprise me because you can imagine so many incredibly intelligent people getting involved who are potentially sort of too clever for their own good, throwing a few trillion dollars at it or whatever the number was. And then, yeah, again, making it so broad, again, making it stealthy. You can just imagine all the things you'd have to do. And what it really needed was one person that well, really wanted to see it work. I, I think <laughs> just it, put the time it, and effort into doing it. In a weird way, I think from my childhood, from being not afraid to take things apart, make things, having that sort of aviation aeronautical heritage around me. You know, I'm pretty sure at age 10, I could describe to you how a swashplate worked in a helicopter just because my dad used to rattle on yeah. about it the whole time and my granddad used to run the business making them. And it, I, I love visual, visual engineering. I love visualizing how a mechanism works. And I think I knew enough to not know that it wasn't supposed to be possible if that phrase hangs together. So in other words, I knew enough to be dangerous in a positive way. You know, I knew enough to know, to not be scared of getting hold of a gas turbine and safely 
playing with it and not being hung up by the idea that the 120,000 RPM spindle would probably have a gyroscopic moment which would make this impossible to manipulate. I yeah. think, well, I don't think it will. I reckon that there's, there's, the mass is probably not going to be that far away from the axis, so I reckon it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that I have to have counter-rotating spindles on the pair of arm engines. I was mm-hmm. told all this afterwards. Yeah. I even did a lecture. I won't say which university it was, but it was, it was an MIT-level university where a fairly senior professor stood up halfway through my talk and said, that's no way should be possible. I've spent my career looking at electric hammer drills where you let go of the trigger and you get that torque kick. Yep. There's no way this should work. You should not be able to manipulate those engines. You're going to have to have some kind of actuated exoskeleton to fight it. And mm-hmm. you just saw what I did. It was you are incredibly strong as well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. I love that narrative it's early the, on. I've had to drop it now. I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. It was very flattering. Yeah. I just smile He's and nod. He's ridiculously powerful. In, in, He's yeah, being yeah, very yeah, humble. Yes, very much so. <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, we've trained so many people to do this. There's a whole bunch of my team fly. You know, uh, yes, there's a couple of the, uh, you know gymnasts, but actually, you know, my CAD designer flies while my aeronautical engineering team fly. It is very effortless when you know how to do it. We'll come on to the training an- mm. angle in a minute, actually, because I'm really interested in the in the, the training element of it as well. But do you mind me asking, is your is your dad still around? Is he still, no, I mean, this see is... you achieve this? Yeah, because... so so this is, uh, you know, this is a common theme. I'm probably hit people sitting with you talking about achieving th- interesting things. It seems to be a common, slightly unfortunate theme that those people often do it off the back of some kind of hard-learned lesson. So, yeah, when I was 15, he unfortunately took his own life because that journey that he was going on of striking out on by himself and Mm. trying to uh, somewhat disrupt then the bicycle industry or the mountain bike industry, um, it was a pretty unforgiving environment back in those days. It's incredibly lonely as well. And if you look at the likes of Steve Jobs and people who just see things differently and all these amazing people who are just clearly on the, the spectrum, they just see things differently to everyone else. And that you know, just seeing things differently just kind of makes you a bit of an outcast because... Well, you, you have know, to be, you, otherwise you'd agree with the status quo. It, it, yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing you, would ever change, you're exactly. In, you're actually, whether consciously or not, saying to the community that you're trying to disrupt, I think you're wrong and I, I know better. You've yeah. done the same thing, yeah. right? Um, Everyone's told us things can't be done and... Um, every time somebody says something can't be done, you know as well as I do, there's an opportunity on there. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, those people who say it can't be done, nine and a half times out of ton, they're bloody they're right. right. I know. But every now and then they're not, and that's where the opportunity is. But back when he was kind of forging his own pathway here, it was a much less forgiving environment. And actually, there wasn't the same startup narrative. You know, now it's cool to run startups. It has been yeah. for about 10, 15 years or so. Back then, you know, why are you giving up a perfectly good day job and pension and whatever? Yeah. So, it was because um, you're unemployable basically yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah it was like well you're of, a lunatic in a shed somewhere trying yeah. to you know just build some heath robinson waste of time and, you know and, and he actually he'd completely squared away the engineering but he'd missed and this is the lesson i inherited which is that same thing with you you know inventing the product is sadly about what five or ten percent of the problem yeah. the rest of it is marketing yeah. positioning who do it's you, convincing others oh yeah and i think as as the as the focused technician of this of the engineering idea you just think, well, everybody else should see that. But no, you've got to find a way of communicating that to people. So I was very, very wary that, that inventing something that, oh my God, you can just strap on and within two minutes just take off and fly around. I think that's cool. I'm, yeah. I've got to have the humility to believe that other people might not find it cool. They might be completely lost as to what the point of it is. Um, you know, what, what is this for? What am I seeing? You know, and I knew I had to work hard. And this is why we, you know, worked hard on the, on the brand when we launched it, just mm. to see what the world would make of it. And by yeah. doing you know, 100 events in 30 countries in three years. That has been, been a deliberate, actually very luckily paid for exercise in just polling the world to go, what do you think? Do you like this? You know, do you want to see yeah. more? What do you, What is it you like about this? And I mean, it's... I've got to say, it's honestly one of the 
coolest things I have ever seen. And I am never speechless. And you came back in and I, for the first time ever, and everyone knows this doesn't happen. I was, uh, I didn't know what to say. It was it's just like, I've really just seen that. I'm still processing it. It hasn't quite sunk I, in. I, because it, I know how hard and how long people have tried yeah. to do this. And frankly, you just made it look really easy. So so what's fun is your brain, you know, you, you, unless you're unfortunately afflicted with autism, your brain is very good at scanning around the room and going, you know, light, chair, yeah. table, and then you, you're done, right? It just posts that information. In, into a very well learned pigeonhole as a kid um when i do or what myself or one of my team do that your brain goes nope i can't find a hole to put this I'm, I'm receiving the information but what the hell is this this should not be real now when you see it on a screen you just go yeah but it's probably fake or cgi or whatever whether you're consciously thinking that or not but when you see it live it's funny isn't it every single person you, we pretty you, much do this you know to. you make a really good point actually because i think they've ruined films by, yeah. by actually doing things We're like so some spoiled, of the Marvel stuff we? now. Yeah, because the CGI is so good and yeah. all the disaster movies and whatever. Now, there's kind of a lot of films, there's too much action. You yeah. can't process it. And actually, you get bored with all the action. Whereas years ago, it used to be kind of just yeah. bits and you kind of be the big build up towards the end or whatever. And I think that's exactly it now. We're used to seeing stuff on screens that isn't real. Mm. And now we've just seen something with our own eyes, not looking through the lens it's of an powerful, iPhone. It? It's incredibly powerful because it, it, you just, it just doesn't look no, real but no. you're actually looking at it yeah. it's unbelievable so, i mean th this is why the conclusion of three years of doing this all over the world is we've got this enormous demand around the world for people wanting to see more well what better than bringing five or six pilots all clad in different kind of sponsored gear all racing keep it visceral and exciting with exceptional risk yeah well, i think it would be i mean yeah, this is what in. we were due to do in bermuda in march we had you know a whole bunch of sponsors lined up to go and do make this first foray into a into the that that kind of hierarchical tree of motor racing in terms of bringing mm. all of that sort of magic um and then covid obviously paused it all um that I still think is going to be the most amazing live active, live action sport activation that will bring alive that human desire for flight, for breaking free, that also happens to look like a Marvel action film. I mean, yeah. I, I think that will be epic. That's what we're going to go and do. And honestly, I've said this on stage a number of times. In some small way, if for some reason we haven't spotted it doesn't work out. We, you know, we'll do it in a way that's recoverable. We'll crack on with all the military stuff we're doing and all yeah, the other yeah, social yeah, media yeah. and whatever. But actually, it is such insane fun doing it. I don't really care if anybody doesn't want to watch. We're going to do it anyway because it's just the most <laughs> yeah. exciting thing. Does, does sound like me. Yeah. yeah, I want to drive a tank for London. I don't care if no one else wants to say I want to <laughs> no, do it. Exactly. Um, but I mean, again, that's an interesting point because you're going to be surrounded now by what I'd call positive distraction mm. in the sense that, yeah, you could spend the next 20, 30 years just talking to the military about this, commercialising it in other ways, mm. you know, for other industry. Um, I guess just even just entrepreneurs or kind of lunatics or just you know, wealthy people that just kind of want one because it's cool because you've kind of you've leapt over so many um i guess if you know protect motor racing for instance where okay it's evolved over the years but you know gradually over mm. the next th last 30 40 years there's only sort of so far it can go but you've just kind of leapt over all of that just with this entirely new concept that it kind of blows everything else out of the water I mean, you're, you're, you're very kind to say that. We, we think so. But, but at the same time, you know, I have the humility to say that motor racing has got a hundred year history where, you know, you, you, you remember going with your parents to watch it. And people they're, relate they're, to it because everyone right. can drive. When, when yeah. you look at NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, football, baseball, there is such a long tail, um, authentic kind of history to them all. Mm -hmm. It's why it's very hard to invent a new sport. Yeah, but actually, yeah, yeah. when you break down what makes sport excitement, it is the perception of risk. It's the gladiatorial combat. It's the noise. It's the smell. It's the excitement. It's mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the drama of it. I think we can deliver all of that. 
Yeah. But honestly, I'm all about sort of proving by doing. That's our ethos. We don't yeah. sort of just get out there and wave our hands and promise stuff that we can't deliver. We we just go and do it and then watch other people follow us. So I'm very confident we can make this into the most amazing sport that'll be both amazing to watch and consume, but also very accessible for people yeah. to come and actually do. As you mentioned, we've had, I mean, we've trained 50 clients already. We've got a whole team of seven or eight pilots ourselves. Um, it does not take very long to learn and then can be very safe over water. You know, you just fall 10, 15 feet into water if you get it wrong and really just feel a bit sorry for yourself and a bit damp. You float with all the equipment. Uh, and but you can't you, catch fire when you're in water, which is no, always a bonus. That's another, another bonus. And actually, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss the, the, the heat sort of fire risk thing, but honestly, we've never used a fire extinguisher in five years, four years or whatever of doing this. We did have someone stand by, so I didn't want to <laughs> tell you, but we did have a, well, it, we, had, we had a fire blanket we bought from Amazon funny, that was eight it's, quid. You know, so. it, it's really not that dangerous from that point of view. The danger is going high, but we just don't choose to go high because How there's high nothing How high could you there. go? As as long as your fuel lasts. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it gets easier the higher you go from a recirculation point of view. As the air gets thinner, the air, the turbines get less efficient. Cooler uh, but the, the cooler air works better. Mm -hmm. um, but there's just, it sort of dawned on us, it's funny to say, but there's nothing up there. No one can see you. Yeah. It just gets very dangerous. The CAA and the FAA will start to get fed up with you going high. Um, and from a military point of view, why do you want to be a target out there? So actually terrain hugging and racing 15, 20 feet over the water, that's where the action is. So, you know, people talk about parachutes and things like that, but actually that's quite dangerous because you have to go to a height where the parachute has time to properly work. Yeah. And one mistake with that activating and you're not going to get another, have another go. Mm -hmm. Our ethos is all about recoverable failure. Everything yeah. we do from a commercial and safety point of view is all about be able to get back up again. You know, mm -hmm. I, I actually, I can admit this because... Um, well, the footage isn't out yet. It won't be out for a while. We were we were filming with Berg flying out to his island. Um, there's, it's all going to be over his YouTube and ours. On the flight back, I was hammering along at 60 miles an hour, low over the sea to get back home. It was raining. It was so windy and I misjudged it. There was a 15, 20 mile hour tailwind. And as I pulled up in front of a sort of 400 foot cliff, now this cliff was at a slope. So I calculated that if I fly up the cliff, I got a failure at any moment. It was mostly gorse and stuff, not fun day out, mm -hmm. but it would catch you. Right at the bottom, there was about 15, 20 feet of sloping rock. And I didn't want to go and cut the corner off. I wanted to actually like terrain hug. So every moment I'm quite low. So if you've got a failure, fall in the water, maybe you fall five, 10 feet onto the rock, it'll you know, be all right. But I misjudged it. I had a, such a tailwind as I pulled up to get rid of my horizontal speed. You can do the same in a helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't scrubbed enough off. So I hit the cliff at about 10, five, 10 miles an hour, smacked into the cliff, slid down, was connected, collected by one of the ledges. You know, it, it's still a very sloping cliff and I could walk up it afterwards. But you know what? I was fine. I sort of wrecked a bit of the suit. I've got a slightly bruised knee, but I did 12K yesterday. With <laughs> Luckily, for the Bear Grylls thing, I don't know why I've admitted all this, yeah. for the Bear Grylls thing, they'd finished filming by then. So the Bear Grylls <laughs> thing will look all really cool and slick and we'll make another episode out of the crash because it looks really spectacular. But I, I walked all the way up the cliff afterwards. So it's all about recoverable failure. I'm really, I'm just Braxic, so I'm quite clumsy. So I would just, I just smash into a wall or something, <laughs> but like 30 the, the, miles The water racing for you will suit you perfectly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, with lots and lots of room all around. Yes. Um, and you've got a world record for this, haven't you? Does that still stand? I guess there's no one, no one's going to break this No, I mean, bless, bless again is a record, folks. We love them dearly. And uh, right not long after we launched the company, um, they approached us and said, look, can we build a world record out of this? Because it just looks so cool. And so um, they they hatched this idea of fastest speed in a human propelled jet suit or whatever, which is what we do. Yeah. So funnily so enough, they made a record just for you. That's yeah. definitely On the Tuesday. easiest. Yeah, that's the easiest record <laughs> yeah. to break. Yes. So uh, we and you set, had to be called Richard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So we set um, in the glamorous setting of Reading Lake, um, lovely uh, jet ski lake that we're very grateful to the folks there. Um, we set a, a not very exciting 32 miles an hour, but it looked amazing. And this was this was what, 
I don't know, not very long after we'd launched. And it looks phenomenal. It's the first time I'd ever flown over water. And actually, again, not long after they'd finished filming their piece, I thought, let's see if we can go even quicker. And I pulled too hard around a corner, started to lose altitude, like when you bank in an aircraft. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. learned that at this stage. And I started sliding downwards and I just realized, oh, damn it. And so I just slipped into the water and wiped the suit out. But that was uh, back in 2018. We set a new one uh, in autumn 2019 at 85 miles an hour. Wow. That was flattening out with a leg wing. Um, again, not a very glamorous location, but off the, off the pier at Brighton. Um, so, yeah, we've got those two world records, obviously one beating the other. But That um, must be terrifying to do 85 miles an hour. It was awesome. really, no, it was pretty spectacular. I mean, you vector that thrust. That feel qu- quick. Oh, I mean, you know, you're flying. It, the best analogy, weirdly, is a Harrier aircraft. If people can remember a Harrier, Harrier or an F-35. Which taking still off, tragic they don't fly because that's like one of the greatest the Spanish of are still all using time. I, I did, I oh, had the privilege. They're years, they're years behind though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, 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 um, I had the privilege of flying at the Farnborough Air Show, which is very cool. And the Spanish had a highly souped up version of one of their Harriers there. And I spoke to the pilot before he did his thing and he hovered. And I was in the, quite a long way in the foreground, to be fair. And there's an amazing shot of me hovering with him in the background. Uh, but actually, when they're hovering around, they're flying like we do. They are vector thrust flying. They are blowing enough air down to stay it's in the air. It's very, very skillful, I think, isn't it? And I think one of, yeah. one, of the, one of the reasons that F-35s and stuff have kind of, I think the stuff that you can do in F-35, you can learn in a couple of minutes because there's so it's much technology working for you. There's a land Yeah, and a Harrier, I think it was really difficult it's to do. It's all yeah. seat of the pants stuff. But the hardest thing in a Harrier was actually transitioning from that vectored fr- thrust to gradually transitioning fast enough that there's enough airflow you know, over the wings to be able to actually then fly like a jet fighter and yes. throw that thrust backwards. That's essentially what we were starting to play with doing in Brighton. Um, the rear engine is becoming a propulsive device and the arm engines are really keeping you a little bit in the air, but you're now flying with that leg wing and propelling yourself and that, you know, that acceleration just feels phenomenal. It just feels absolutely out of this world. You just I, feel... And I guess sort of transitioning out. back again, it must be a real... <laughs> yeah. Scale. Because again, I guess you can't, you can't learn that tethered. So you have to just kind of do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd say by then you've got enough, um, you've got enough uh, natural balance and stability to uh, be able to kind of feel it enough to be able to square it away. But it is, yeah, it is quite a tricky thing to kind of, yeah, it is. Ironically, it's actually transitioning back out into the hover again. That's the hardest thing. It's hard, yeah, yeah. No, I'd say that's one of the most tricky things. But so going back to the um, the the BP thing, I mean, when you sort of basically said to your wife, "Look, I want to sort of leave my job and." Um, mm. basically do this full time. Um, Did she shout a lot? Well, the, the, I mean, what I managed to do because of that you know, childhood background of um, seeing my father go through an entrepreneurial journey that ultimately had the kind of worst outcome you can yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's not necessarily a positive journey <laughs> for a lot of people. No, I, and I mean, that's where my narrative of recoverable failure comes from. That, yeah. um, Protecting you know, the downside as well, basically. Yeah, very much. And when... I did all this. Well, I, you know, I got this suit to fly while I was still working at BP. I did it all in weekends and evenings. Yeah. Um, and the trajectory that saw me ultimately leave the company was one of, um, was very much one of me trying to sort of manage the downside. And in the end, I even managed to engineer a career break with BP. You know, I, I even did the, the TED talk on the launch when I was still working at BP. I said, mm-hmm. at the time I I transitioned out of trading and I'd um, got a job in the sort of more innovation side of things. You know, and I was very open with them and said, look, you know, I've done this thing in my evenings and weekends and I'm going to launch it and uh, let's see what happens. And then I told them um, that I'd, I'd got this invitation to do, you know, TED 2017, which is a pretty amazing you know, opportunity. Of course, and, yeah. um, and they said, look, go for it. And um, 
and, and, and they could see that I was on this pretty awesome journey and let me just disappear off for two years on an unpaid career break, which in my mind was really valuable because it gave me that sort of fallback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some time to analyze it. and Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I felt like I, I wasn't just... you've got that just, safety net of going back. If, yeah, if, yeah, very much. I, I What I didn't want to have happen is you know, have a, the fragments of an idea and then go and, um, you know, just strike out for, you know, right at the beginning of the journey and take on that huge amount of risk where I had no idea. I mean, I didn't even know if I could get this to work. I mean, mm. it genuinely was a complete flight of fantasy without being too corny. Uh, I didn't know that, that this, this, this concept had any legs at all. So to give up everything at that stage, the pressure that would have ladled on me and all the learnt sort of, um, I suppose, you know, lessons I'd had of growing up around watching my father's business kind of do well and then gradually not do well and mm. all of that family stuff just fall apart. Yeah. I couldn't stomach the idea of putting my family through the same kind yeah. of turmoil of watching everything kind of just decline and fall apart. So 16 years of working hard, putting money away and then managing the trajectory in a way that minimized the risk is something I've carried forward even, you know, even now. Yeah. So yeah, I was pretty, you know, close to my heart to try and keep it. I, know, lo- I love how humble you are. Cause this is, this is like, for me, this is like up there with the Wright brothers, you know, uh, in a way, in terms of, um, you know, what you've achieved and what you've done, where, you know, millions of people have tried this. Um, you know, it's just, it's incredible, really, that you're just so um, down to earth about it, well, literally. I, I think that's important because, uh, you know, not not only in terms of building the business around it, but also... You know, you have to keep humble and not get ahead of yourself with mm-hmm. the risk of this as well. That if you got fully yourself and decided that you'd squared away all the risk and you go up to 500 feet and hammer around at 100 miles an hour, yeah, you know, failure for you will mean you're not going to get another go to play with it. So, yeah, a bit like I think if you talk to professional rot- motor racing drivers, you know, they're very, most of them are pretty humble under the surface because they know what they're doing is is uh, is is difficult and can go wrong quite quickly and they have to just keep their eye on safety all the time so yeah um i think that's that's probably part of why myself and the team are all quite grounded i think in what we do yeah cause we, i mean because I, I love the humility because we work a lot with um the military and, and again we work with some special forces but again because of some of the stuff that they do they actually can't think about what they do really as dangerous because it is sort of so dangerous mm. they a lot of them actually i know tend to feel sort of fairly invincible just because they have to be really confident mm. and confident ability. And if they do start thinking about the fact they're not going to come home, they probably don't. Yeah. Again, they've got, you know, wives and kids and stuff as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, you, you must sort of feel fairly mortal, you know, in, yeah. ter- in terms of what you're doing. Because like, things, things can go wrong, and especially with aviation and new technology and stuff as well. But I think a little bit like the military, I mean, there, there is definitely space for the exuberant immortality of, uh, just feeling like you know you're on top of the world, but actually, in my experience, most of the time, the military are they fall back on teamwork and discipline and rigor and process, you know, yeah. and that that is what you have to have at the forefront of your mind when you're in a you know situation that is getting difficult. You have to just fall back on that and believe in what you're doing and and accept that there's a percentage risk of you uh, having an incident or catching a bullet or whatever. But yeah. actually, if you're a professional and you have trained and prepared that's the best you can do and you get on with it so there is quite a sort of military we've got a lot of military folks in our wider team and um you know I, I, a bit like military test pilots you know test piloting the early forms of the harrier for instance you know it was a dangerous job but again if you're rigorous about what you're doing you can do quite a lot to minimize the risk and then after that you just get on with it and be professional about it you know it's 
similar kind of ethos, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and you were talking as well. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got lots of questions, but um, with where do you see this going? What would be your dream? What would you see? Because we talked a lot about, you know, sort of selling, but without selling out and the branding elements of important. And there are so many ways you can go with this. What what would be your sort of preferred outcome here? Do you want to see this become affordable mm. so that anyone could do it? Or I know you don't want thousands of people flying around in jetpacks everywhere, slamming into buildings and upsetting aircraft, because you can see that easily happening. But, yeah. where, you know, where would you love to see this go if you could kind of wave a magic wand? I mean, I, I think, first of all, that, you know, cover off the sort of mass transit, you know, revol revolutionise human mobility thing. I, I mean, that's not us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I often say that, um, you know, the first motor cars were considered noisy, smelly and inefficient, um, you know, and look where they've got to. But actually, you know, I think we're going to have to wait quite a long time until maybe the electric version of what we've done. We have built an electric version, mm -hmm. you know, until that gets to the point where, um, you know, that can be fulfilling a niche part of how humans move around. But um, I think to answer your question, our focus is the race series. I think we can bring an amazing, visceral new era of human kind of competitive um uh, you know i so sport if you like mm -hmm. where you see the best of technology and the best of human beings guys and girls from different sporting backgrounds competing in something that looks amazing and terrifying and shocking and like a cgi film and yet actually keep it very safe it's very portable because you can move it to any water body around the world, lake, rivers and seafronts. Every city in the world has one of those. I was amazed this was in the back of your car when you turned up. I thought you were going to have like a, well, just an entire lorry full of yeah, gear I, and I, technical I, stuff turned. I was amazed you just kind of got in your car. It was, it was literally flying in five minutes. Yeah, I mean, two Incredible. suitcases where you can pack all the gear into two suitcases and go anywhere in the world on it, usually. I mean, COVID makes that more tricky now. But, sure. Uh, so, yeah, it doesn't need to be expensive and difficult to go and do. Um, that's our real focus. And then off the back of that, train members of the public who want to come and learn to fly yeah. either in the race series or just for a fun day out to experience something that, like you said, appeals to that inner childlike dream of flight. Every single person that's ever strapped in one of these suits has kind of lost their mind with what it feels like to just lift off the ground and be free. Um, you know, and then you've even got the electric tethered version. Uh, that's quite easy to do. We built one of those already. So, do you know? I nearly asked you about an electric yeah. version, but I thought that's a stupid question. Electric but... batteries, uh, you know, without a tether is really hard. Okay, but with a tether that keeps you safe, that also has the power running down, it, makes that's sense. Very doable. So we're yeah. working with a bunch of people to see if we can actually make that an even more accessible way of experiencing it. That would be really cool. And this is kind of getting lighter and uh, all the time, I guess, in terms of technology. And again, yeah. and the duration, I guess, is increasing. Because yeah. what's your maximum flight time now? Doing I mean, it depends five, six, seven minutes or so. Okay. Uh, but most of our events are one or two minutes. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. It, it, it really depends. You can just keep ladling the power on to carry more fuel, but nearly all the military and search and rescue and, um, you know, and event stuff you need, needs to only be a couple of minutes usually because you can yeah. accelerate so quickly. You can achieve quite high speeds very quickly. Uh, you know, and you can be so nimble and you're obviously flying like the, you know, crow flies as it were. So you, you know, really can get a long way in a couple of minutes. And, and, obviously, and obviously you were a Royal Marine Reservist, so you must be incredibly fit and healthy and flexible and whatever it used to be. But to um, be. how important is that? Because you mentioned before about your other training that you were doing and actually that gave you the idea potentially for this and how you'd power the, the, the suit. So how important is having that flexibility and do you keep that up and what's your routine look like in terms of training? Um, yeah, I, I used to try and keep the calisthenics up, but that's kind of fallen by, way, by the way, so a little bit. Um, I find just flying a lot and um, and carrying it around and, you know, all that kind of stuff and testing a lot of the wing systems is a pretty good workout. 
Uh, mostly running because I, I yeah. all the events around the world I used to pack my trainers and go running in you know all of those thirty one countries we've flown in which has been an amazing privilege. Yeah, I read some of that you're an ultra marathon runner. I used to as well. do ultra Is there yeah. anything you can't do? Because I'm nah, feeling really, yes, many, really many things. insignificant. I can't play any <laughs> instruments. I'm useless at languages. I'm pretty dyslexic. Yeah, there's a long list. I just don't spend time on those things, unfortunately. Um, yeah, ultra marathons I really really love. I love the challenge of just yeah putting the trainers on and keeping going for you know a few hours. I've done some pretty long ones before. Um, that helps me keep light and eat any kind of rubbish I want, which is quite yeah. nice. Um, and keeping light means you can run the engines less, you can carry more fuel and all sure. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but that's it really now. So put it this way, we're not going to get James off the ground anytime soon, basically. <laughs> it's just, it's just a bigger <laughs> suit. In fact, we had the guy, he was the guy, uh, former world record or maybe he's current world record strong man who played that big character in the, um, Game of Thrones. I should know his name. Oh, half, uh, yes, uh, him, um, whatever his name is. Amazing, I amazing say guy. Bjorn. Yeah, he reached out and said, oh, can, can we build a suit for him at one point? And we can. It's just you scale up everything. I, I'd still like to take him up on that at some point. But um, it's just it's just scaling all the engines up. Yeah, he's a big lad. Good luck uh, getting him off the ground, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be noisy. Can I, what's your biggest fear? Yeah, be, it hasn't got to be sort of flying, but what, what would be... I think I might know this. Yeah, would it, would it be to kind of end up in the, the trap you talked about earlier? Yeah, it's probably ever get tempted to throw so much at something that then fails um, and then drags me, my family, my, you know, kind of lifestyle. If you if you see down in the direction that would start to feel terribly familiar to what I felt like as a kid, you know, we mm -hmm. pretty much lost everything um, as a kid. And, you know, I just couldn't forgive myself if I went down that same route. You know, I, I think maybe a little bit like you, I, I think I, I'm aware that I ex experience the highs of achievement, maybe a few percent higher than is normal. And then similarly, when something doesn't, doesn't go well, I try and get satisfied that I've got a portfolio of things going on. So I'll just feel more happy about whatever else family or running or whatever. But I am aware that I take setbacks a little bit harder than I should do. And therefore yeah. you don't want to get on that downward spiral of feeling like it's all getting irrationally negative. And I think this is a common thing with people who want it's to It's really in. common. Yeah. yeah. I always say the higher, the high, the lower, the yeah, low. Yeah. I think bipolarism and is a strong thing. I don't think I'm bipolar, but I'm, I resonate with descriptions of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think know, more, I, do you know, I think everyone probably is to, mm, a, to a, a certain yeah. extent. I think if you want to achieve amazing things and you do start to do those, mm. exactly. The problem is then just normality of life afterwards can sort of feel a bit shit. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's why I think humility is important because you learn to embrace just going for a walk on a winter's day and going yeah. to have a coffee somewhere. Oh. You embrace the normal things because otherwise, if you don't, you're just going to keep on yeah, looking I, for something that's not there. You know, pre-COVID, you know, I get off the plane for with, you know, with the team from doing some big event in LA or whatever. And then going for a rainy run with my dog or my boys on their bikes or whatever would be just absolute heaven because there'd yeah. be nobody there and it would yeah. just be grungy and muddy and there wouldn't be the buzz of LA. And, you know, I, I've literally been to events where... And this sounds ridiculous. I've had a 10 minute conversation with Elon Musk, walked over, got another drink and then had a 10 minute chat with Jeff Bezos in the same event. And that never happens. Right? I was told that no. never happened. And no. I've done that. Yeah. And you're just thinking this is just insane. Right. And then I'm back on the plane, back home and think, you know what? I'm actually happier <laughs> going and, and running. So, you know. got it. so what did Elon say? And what did Jeff say? Was it? Was it They're great. I mean, I, I love, you know, I, I love just sharing what we do with those kind of people because in a in a tiny way, you know, we're, we're doing something unusual that hasn't been done before. And I mean, Christ, Elon going to pretty much trying to get a Mars and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. And Jeff, you know, reimagining re the world's, you know, shopping process. I mean, how do you compete with that? But in a small way, it's just hugely gratifying to see them look at what we've done and go, hey, that's really cool in your in your you know sphere. And then I walk away. You know, I, I don't ask of anything of these people. Yeah. Um, 
that for me is just a huge kind of bucket list thing. You know, yeah, same yeah, with yeah. Zuckerberg, you know, I flew at one of his events. Um, you know, and it's great seeing, you know, his reaction to the, to what we do. Um, I oh, just yeah, and I mean, these great. are some of the world's kind of just foremost visionaries. Yeah. And, you know, arguably some of the world's most successful people. Yeah. Again, looking at this and going, wow, and these are hard people to impress because, like I said, they're yeah. so that's going to Mars. Me. And, yeah, that's enough for me. You know, it's I, pretty incredible. I certainly haven't got any, you know, desire to try and sort of have sort of pull out some business plan and try, you know, oh, I, just, I, I love the fact we don't need to do that. You know, we yeah. took a VC round by mistake on the way to do the TED Talk. There's uh, the Drapers, Adam and Tim Draper wrote a $640,000 deal on a banknote in a car park or parking lot mm. in San Francisco at the very first event we ever did. And a week later, I was flying in front of you know, Branson and that lot. Yep. It's TED 2017. We've not raised any money since that accidental mm. raise. And it, I wasn't even there to do a raise. I was there just to show them and test it before I flew at TED. This could so it. easily get ruined. And I, I quite like the fact that you've sort of got this direction that you want to go in, which you know, I completely agree with, to be honest. And yeah, this could so easily get ruined if you get the wrong people around that just don't want this they just want to monetize it basically um because that's kind of kind of missed the point in terms of just you know i know making money is important but um yeah this could easily get ruined from a you know from a brand perspective and yeah and and whatever and you could end up sort of having so little say yeah no i it's kind of your dream really yeah i want to keep the sort of authenticity of the dream you know uh we, we we have people like the following i mean there's a guy uh wonderful chap i won't name him but um you know, he's the former chief test pilot for the F-35 program from mm-hmm. Edwards Air Force Base, you know, a glittering career U.S. Air Force test pilot. And he literally takes his own leave to come and hang out with us when we were yep. in L.A. Because for him, seeing what we do, what you saw this morning, more encapsulates his childhood dream of why he became an F-35 pilot than, frankly, what his day job was. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He's not yeah, a test pilot yeah. anymore now. It's so humbling to have somebody like that. Literally, I, could, I turn around and watch him cleaning coffee stains off the private jet hangar floor of where we've been training pilots. Like, you can't be doing that. You know, you should mm. not be doing that. Get one of my team to do that. But it's like, no, no, honestly, it's a, it's a pleasure. He likes hanging out with yeah, us yeah, yeah. because it's back to raw basics. You know, it's yeah. back to that pure raw dream of human flight. And everybody's there because of the passion of the journey, not because it's some big corporate machine. You know, I get from you as well. We've been chatting sort of all day, but I get the impression normally the dream of something is probably better than the reality. But I think maybe now your reality is actually better than the dream. A little bit, but again, a bit like I'll turn it around a bit like you. Just when you've achieved something, we're afflicted by this terrible problem of once you've achieved something, you're looking over the next what downhill. Next? Yeah, so yeah, the whole yeah. mindfulness thing is a real challenge. <laughs> the it's whole difficult. like just just accept what you've got, feel happy, and stop looking over the next horizon. But if you didn't think like that, you wouldn't be here in the first place. No. But slowly turning that off is pretty much impossible. I try to slow down with that stuff, but I'm. I was just telling you about it now. I, I'm back literally tomorrow. If I wasn't here now, you know, COVID has been actually a blessing in disguise in a way from a R&D point of view. And I feel terribly sorry for this, the, the impact on everybody. And it has had an impact on our business. But actually, it's given us more R&D time. I am so excited about what we're building with the team back in the lab. There's you know, a lot of companies out there that are going to have a smaller business, but a better business, a, a refocused yep. about what really matters because everyone's really been on the rat race. Mm. And, and again, are going to get back into the rat race. And to a certain extent, you know, in some respects, we do need to because um, this is, this is going to be really damaging with the economy as well, more so than it already has been. Mm. But uh, yeah, operationally been able to do the stuff that you haven't been able to do. And it's actually given everyone thinking time. Yeah. I've kind of quite in, enjoyed just... It, it for me, grenade feeling like a startup again. Because yeah. I remember sitting there late March thinking, 
wow, you know, we did not see this coming. Mm-hmm. And, and all those locations that we had all of a sudden just weren't there. And, and you know, we thought we're in 80 countries, so we're going to be fairly resistant to something happening in the world. But, of course, it was kind of, you know, it's every country. Yeah. So, yeah, no one saw that coming. But, yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, it's given really sort of positive reflection time. Mm. And, again, you know... The, you, adaptation is just the key to survival, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And it's it's made everyone sort of really think about adapting, yeah. adapting the business as well. And it's often cited that, you know, if you look at the technology going into the First or Second World War versus what the world had at the end of the war, look at that. I mean, we went into the First World War with canvas and timber aeroplanes yeah. that would chug along at 80 miles an hour and came out with a jet engine and yeah. radio and microwaves and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you'd never wish a war on the world, but we, we're experiencing a mini version of the same thing. And, and yeah. this will shake up snow globe yeah. and give us with a whole you know a whole load of new things that otherwise would have taken to another 10 15 years it's definitely forces innovation you know which which yeah we, we definitely need um we're out of time but honestly i could talk to you for <laughs> hours about this this has been absolutely fascinating oh, really has been fascinating honestly it's just great that you're such a down-to-earth humble guy as well oh, so likewise. That was th- no, thank you thoroughly enjoyable thanks Not richard so you've been listening to uh, me, Alan Barrett, with the Grenade podcast, Pull the Pin. And that was a fantastic interview, I think, really interesting with uh, Richard Browning. So if you like what you've heard, then make sure you subscribe. We are on all the major platforms.